Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com It's freezing on the beach. The army has fires outside of almost every tent. But their armor isn't warm enough for the harsh winters of northern France. When they took control of Mauritania, they were much better prepared. It's difficult to keep morale up under these conditions. The boats aren't meant to cross such fierce and uncertain waters. Has Caligula not learned from Caesar's failed attempts to invade Britain? The soldiers are saying this advance is cursed. When they were children, stories of the barbaric witches on the island of White Cliffs were told to scare each other. Now these cold and starving soldiers tell the same stories as if they are real. Cassius Career is the head of the Praetorian Guard, and has guarded Caligula since he took power three years ago. It seems like Cassius has protected dozens of versions of him. He's desperate to try and win back the love of the people with this doomed escapade to expand the Empire. Whatever his motives, this will never work. Cassius hears his name through the flurry of snow on the wind. Claudius, Caligula's uncle, is calling him into the tent. His fellow guards stare at him as he rises from the fire pit and heads into the light. Caligula is surrounded by his army generals and closest consuls. They tried launching the boat several times with no success. They were built for coastal sailing and rivers. They don't have the ballast for such rough seas. And now that the winter freeze has arrived, the boat hulls will never survive the blocks of ice forming. The generals warn of potential uprising among the men. The food stocks are low, and the cold is triggering frustration. Caligula slams his fist on the table and objects to retreating to Rome without something to show for it. The tent is now silent. Only the wind rustling the leather walls can be heard. Caligula stares at the floor from his grand chair. Before Claudius opens his mouth, Caligula stands and looks Cassius square in his eyes. 
He instructs Cassius to line up the troops. Cassius is confused, but he does as he's ordered to do. Caligula stands in front of his army and begins to pick soldiers out one by one. After two dozen are chosen, he instructs them to strip out of their armor and change into rags. He tells them that they are going to march back to Rome as prisoners, but they will be rewarded. Cassius is furious. He was never told about this. And if he had, he would have argued against it. But he knows better than to argue against his emperor in front of his men. Caligula instructs the Praetorian Guard to take the men away and make sure they follow their orders. He then turns to the rest of his army and tells them to scour the beach and collect seashells. The soldiers look at each other baffled. Did he mean what he said? Claudius and the officers press the men forward and they begin to fan out on the shore and fill their helmets and cloaks with shells of all colors and sizes. Caligula calls these the plunders of war. When the sun is high, the soldiers pack up their camp and fill the carriages with shells. The chosen soldiers are now dressed as if they've been run through the streets. They're covered in mud and chained together. A Praetorian guard turns to Cassius and asks, why are they dressed like that? Cassius explains the emperor can't return to Rome defeated. He knows this explanation is hollow, but he doesn't know what else to say. Claudius mounts his horse and Cassius approaches him, asking if Caligula is all right. Since he woke from his coma, he has been impulsive and more brazen. Claudius agrees. He knows they were at the brink of mutiny and has no idea how he plans to pull off a victorious return. Caligula pulls up on his horse next to the two men speaking. He asks what they are discussing. Cassius says the men are torn about parading their comrades as prisoners, and the Senate won't be happy if they return without having conquered Britannia. Many senators already hate Caligula for stealing their wealth and sleeping with their wives. Caligula scowls at Cassius and says, let them hate me, so long as they fear me. But you wouldn't know anything about that. How can anyone fear a man who sounds like a hen nagging a rooster? Caligula rides on, leaving Cassius humiliated. Before Claudius follows, Cassius says to him, something must be done. He marches back to his guard, mounts his horse, and they begin the long trek back to Rome. As the distance closes, Cassius hatches a plan that will seal Caligula's fate at the end of a blade. From what the story sounds, you're listening to Crosshairs. In each episode, you'll be immersed in some of the most significant and shocking assassination attempts and successes in human history. From meticulously planned hits to killings gone wrong and the moments in time which led to murder. So train your ears and listen as we walk you towards the moment where victim and assassin collide. This is Crosshairs, Episode 10, Caligula. Gaius Caesar Germanicus was given the nickname Caligula as a boy growing up in army camps. His father, Germanicus, was a well-loved general of the Roman army. His mother, Agrippina, had special armor made for him so he would fit in and train. The soldiers gave him the nickname. It means Bootykins. Caligula is many lifetimes away from those happy days. 
His parents and brothers have been slaughtered by the Emperor Tiberius. He was raised in the private villa of the Emperor on the island of Capri. Tiberius taught him everything he knows about deception, politics, debauchery, and power. He taught him to live a life of luxury and throw anything that threatened that over the cliffs into the sea. Not many people were surprised when they heard about the death of Tiberius. He had not left Capri in years, and he lost the faith of the people and the Senate with his blackmail and high taxes. Caligula was the natural fit to succeed him as emperor. He had the bloodlines of emperors Augustus and Caesar in his veins. He'd been the mentee of Tiberius for years, and the rumors that he smothered Tiberius to gain power only fueled his popularity. Spring is in the air, and the lush gardens of Rome are budding around the temples and monuments. Caligula smiles on his horse as the people line the streets to cheer his arrival. He reaches the Senate and begins to ascend with Cassius and the Praetorian Guard by his side. The Senate rose and officially swore him in as the third emperor of Rome. Caligula promises to burn all of Tiberius' blackmail on the Senate and to start fresh. He also promises to lower taxes on the people and begins to announce his plans to build new roads and aqueducts across the empire. He quickly becomes the emperor of the people. Cassius smiles in the background as the Senate cheer. He's honored to be guarding someone worthy to be Rome's leader, and not someone who is obsessed with sex and torture. As they retreat to the palace, Caligula begins to call for engineers, designers, goldsmiths, and a mirror maker. First order of business is to make sure the empire knows who their new ruler is. He commissions the statues of Tiberius to have their heads removed and replaced with his image. He has the mint meltdown coins to make new currency with his likeness. He maps out plans for an extravagant new palace he once built in the capital, and he wants the entrance to be a temple. Cassius and the engineers look confused at the plans. Caligula looks at them and says, the people shall worship me as their god. To celebrate his reign, Caligula has urns full of coins thrown from the top of balconies into the streets below, and he announces the return of the Palatine Games and Gladiator Tournaments. For seven months, the empire has been buzzing with excitement and celebration. The economy is thriving with the commission of new roads, buildings, and infrastructure. The Senate relaxes, believing this leader has the democracy of the people at heart. Caligula celebrates with unctuous parties and endless supplies of concubines. As the summer nights cool down and the days begin to shorten, Caligula wakes up one morning feeling feverish. He's sweaty, but he cannot stop shivering. He calls for his guard, and Cassius marches in to find him grey and incoherent. Cassius looks at his comrade and orders him to fetch the doctor while he gets the emperor back into bed. He instructs the slaves to bring fresh sheets and a pitcher of water to try and make Caligula more comfortable. As the palace becomes a flurry of activity, the doctor comes in. Caligula is no longer conscious. His breathing is shallow. Senate members, his uncle Claudius, his three sisters and Tiberius' son Gemellus stand around the room waiting for a diagnosis. The doctor walks them all out except Cassius. He stands guard by the bed now but he can hear them in the hall. The doctor calls the spell a brain fever and tells them he doesn't know if or when the emperor would wake up. The empire feels like it's being covered by a dark shroud, 
No one knows what to do. The Senate vowed to oversee matters of the Empire while he is incapacitated. His sisters begin to wail in sadness. Gemellus, Tiberius's son, offers to step up as ruler in Caligula's absence. This is a shock to everyone, but no one discounts the possibility. Cassius finds his enthusiasm rather suspicious. He calls his fellow guard in from the hall after the crowd disperse. Cassius instructs him to take several of their men and search the grounds of the palace for anything suspicious. The soldier runs out of the room, and Cassius falls back into place. He watches every shallow breath of his ruler. He sees his eyes twitch and his body flinch. He must be dreaming. After several days on guard, his colleague returns. He explains the method of the search and pulls a small glass vial of powder from his armor. The soldier says it was discovered in Gamelis' room, and he thinks it could be poison. Cassius congratulates the soldier on his efforts, and instructs him to reveal his findings to the head of the Praetorian Guard, Macro. Over the next three months, Cassius watches a steady stream of visitors come to Caligula's bedside. The doctor visits frequently, as does his uncle Claudius and his sisters. When a member of the Senate arrives, they never stay long and they leave stone-faced. Cassius prays to the gods for the return of Caligula every day. After all the leaves have fallen and the shutters are closed for the season, a slave girl comes in to add furs to the bed in the chill. Cassius is standing in his usual position and he noticed Caligula twitch. It was sudden and unusual. The girl jumps back and suddenly they both see his eyes open. Cassius turns to the girl and tells her to fetch the doctor immediately. Caligula sits up in his bed. His vision is a bit blurry and his stomach is rumbling. He could eat a whole banquet. The slave girl's run must have alarmed people in the palace because when she returned with the doctor, his sisters and his uncle were behind him. Caligula looks at Cassius while the doctor examines him and orders him to get him some honey and bread. Cassius says, Yes, my emperor. Caligula bursts into laughter and coughing. He looks at Cassius and announces to the room, He sounds like a eunuch. Cassius becomes flushed and leaves the room. After the parade of people left, Cassius was alone with Caligula as he ate. Macro enters and sits with the emperor. He explains that after the brain fever set in, he had the palace searched and a vial of poison was discovered in Camillus's room. Cassius rolls his eyes, but he is not surprised that he gets no credit for the discovery. Caligula looks at Macro and says, Leave it with me. After a few days recuperating, Caligula feels ready to leave his bed. He calls for a meeting with Gamelus and insists on his guard's attendance. Caligula stands in front of the proud young man and asks about his keen desire to step up as a leader. Gamelus insists it was only to serve and not to overstep. Caligula knows the truth, but he also knows he cannot kill someone with the emperor's blood. Instead, he instructs Macro to kill him. Macro descends into the prison cell where Gamelus is held. He enters, presents his sword, wraps Gamelus's hands around the hilt, and forces him to kill himself. Macro returns to Caligula's chambers and tells him the deed is done. Caligula thanks him for his protection and good counsel, and lets him know he is to be rewarded with a new role as prefect of Egypt. 
Macro is surprised and humbly accepts. He packs his belongings and rides his horse out of Rome. A few miles outside of the city walls, he sees his fellow guards waiting for him. As he gets closer, he can see this is not a farewell party. Cassius stands at the head and is in a striking stance. Macro realizes he has ridden into an ambush ordered by Caligula. Macro dismounts his horse and greets his comrades. He fights valiantly for his life, but he's outnumbered. Cassius plunges his sword into Macro's chest and leaves him for the wolves. When Cassius and the guards return, they immediately present Macro's armor to Caligula. The emperor is pleased and appoints Cassius as the new prefect of the Praetorian Guard. Cassius served under Caligula's father, Germanicus, and helped to prevent mutiny after the death of Augustus. He has been praised for his bravery and loyalty. Caligula's near death has made him paranoid, and he believes Cassius will remain loyal and protective. As the new palace is built, Caligula has gemstones embedded into the mosaic design of his pleasure garden. He commissions mirrors to be hung all over the walls. Excess like this is not unusual for an emperor, and though Cassius thinks it's odd, it has proven to be useful. He would watch as Caligula stared into the reflection around every corner. Was he looking for any threat behind him? Or was this voyeurism for his pleasure? Caligula lives for pleasure. He invites Senate members over for supper in his new home. As they arrive, they see a banquet of the most glorious fruits and treats imaginable. But the closer they get, they realize it's not real. It's entirely made of gold. Caligula snickers at their disbelief, and with an authoritative look, he orders them to eat. The Senate members select ornate apples and dates and pretend to nibble on them as they laugh at Caligula's jokes and sip wine. While Caligula enjoys lording his power over these politicians, his appetite is not yet fulfilled. Cassius saw the emperor glaring at a senator's wife as she followed him in, and now he watches as he takes her by the hand and leads her out of the room. Cassius follows behind as the emperor holds her by the waist and walks her to his bedroom. This is the part of his job he hates, standing outside his door while he hears panting and screaming. It used to be humiliating, but it happens so frequently now that it's become dull. After a few minutes pass, the doors swing open behind Cassius. Caligula has barely broken a sweat, but the senator's wife is disheveled and flushed. She tries to smooth over her hair and dress as they return to the party. As soon as Caligula enters the banquet, he approaches her husband and says, She's not very good in bed, is she? The senator and his wife lose all the color in their faces as the rest of the party roar in laughter. Cassius just stands there. He's seen this before. Caligula has done this at almost every dinner party with members of the Senate since his recovery. It's his way of asserting dominance. Cassius wonders how his father would have reacted to this behavior. Caligula is aware that the only way to secure his power is to make an heir. Though he has made many conquests, he has no bride and no children. His sister, Agrippina, knows of his fear and decides to take advantage of this opportunity and to secure a position of her own. After dinner one evening, she follows Caligula back to his room 
Cassius, as always, is standing dutifully by the door. Agrippina sits on the bed with her brother and serves him some wine. She begins to talk about the strength of the dynasty of the pharaohs of Egypt by keeping breeding within the bloodline. Caligula jumps up from his bed in shock. He points out to Agrippina that there is no greater taboo in the empire than incest. The best way for him to lose his popularity with his people is if they find out he is sleeping with his sister. Agrippina begins to unwrap her dress and assures her brother that his people will worship the god that he is and the son she promises to give him. Caligula is now a mere fly in her web and allows her to swallow him whole. The affair starts out quietly, but after a few months, Caligula becomes frustrated that Agrippina isn't pregnant. Cassius watches from the shadows as he mutters and paces in anger. He offers to bring him wine or a concubine, but Caligula snaps at him and calls him a Venus who could never get an erection. Cassius steps back as if he was slapped across the face. The slaves will giggle at his humiliation. Caligula orders Cassius to fetch his sister, Drusilla. She is known across the empire for her kindness and beauty, and it's no secret that Caligula favors her. She arrives swiftly and can see Caligula's upset. He orders everyone to leave. Cassius ushers the slaves out the door and takes his place in the hall. He can hear the sound of kissing. Cassius doesn't understand. He knows Caligula is having an affair with Agrippina and the risks involved. Drusilla is married. If people find out he's having an affair with both of his sisters, he'll never be able to keep the people's respect. He hears the usual mutters and moans through the door, and then silence. Drusilla doesn't leave the room until the sun rises. A few months go by, and now everyone seems to know that Caligula is sleeping with all three of his sisters in a desperate attempt to secure an heir. People graffitied the emperor's face, scrawling the word incest on his image. The senate mock him behind his back. The people's emperor is losing face in his empire. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One morning, Drusilla wakes from Caligula's bed feeling unwell. She is unable to eat anything and feels nauseous. Caligula orders the doctor to see her. He steps out while she is examined. Cassius can see Caligula's concern. It hasn't been long since the emperor had brain fever and he cares deeply for Drusilla. The doctor steps out of the room and congratulates Caligula. He will have an heir. Caligula cannot contain his excitement. He bursts through the bedroom doors and scoops up his nauseous sister in his arms. She wears a smile as he kisses her all over. They announce the good news to everyone at breakfast. Caligula has a spark in him he hasn't had since he arrived in Rome. He begins printing coins with Drusilla's face on them. 
He makes sure she wears nothing but the finest silks and has the freshest food before anyone else. Agrippina is enraged. It should be her. Caligula would never even have considered a pure bloodline if she hadn't convinced him. At least if Drusilla becomes his wife, she will protect her sisters. Cassius watches as the siblings seem to splinter off. Stabbing family members in the back was unfortunately a common risk among emperors. He was pleased to see his ruler happy, even more pleased that Caligula's good mood seemed to mean less mocking and humiliation for him. Several months have passed and Drusilla is in full bloom. Caligula is focusing on cementing their legacy and orders more monuments to honor the ruling family. As he lays out plans for a walkway connecting the palace to temples and honoring Jupiter, a slave girl comes running in. She tells Caligula to come quickly. Drusilla has collapsed while strolling through the gardens. She is laid out in her room, and the doctor is listening to her stomach. She looks almost blue. Caligula grabs the doctor by the shoulders and shakes him fiercely. Cassius has to step in and ask what is happening. The doctor says she's been struck with a sudden fever and he doesn't know if she will recover. Agrippina and La Villa are at her side along with Drusilla's husband, Lepidus. Caligula walks over to Drusilla and kisses her forehead. He turns around and walks straight to the temple. Cassius follows him. Caligula drops to his knees and prays. Cassius has never seen him like this. He usually responds in anger, and now he seems so vulnerable. By morning, Caligula hadn't moved from the marble steps. Cassius stood by him through the night. As the sun begins to peek through the pillars, Agrippina slowly walks in and steps up to Caligula. She places her hand on his shoulder and lowers her head. She tells him Drusilla died in her sleep, her and the baby. Caligula begins to weep. It quickly explodes into a wail that echoes through the chamber and into the heavens. Caligula orders a state funeral to honor his sister and their unborn baby. He declares her a goddess and commissions a huge bronze statue of her to be built. He holds gladiator games in her honor and replaces the heads of statues with her image. He declares a state of mourning in the empire and threatens people with execution if they work at all during that time. His severe depression is costing the empire a fortune they no longer have. The coffers are empty, and now that he has ceased all trading and work, they're not replenishing their riches fast enough. He has lost the faith of his people and the Senate. Caligula sits in his chambers with his uncle Claudius, his consuls and members of the Senate. Cassius can see no one is comfortable. The emperor has barely spoken in months and everyone is scared of him. Claudius tells his nephew the empire is broke and if they don't do something fast, he will lose his seat in power. Caligula flips the table over and roars like a lion. The room clears except for Claudius and Cassius. Caligula looks at his uncle and asks for his advice. He reminds the emperor that Tiberius was not liked but the coffers were always well stocked and he lived the life he wanted. The old emperor was only able to do that by targeting the Senate and taking their wealth. That's why he kept a record of all that blackmail. He also heavily taxed the people to fund his endless supply of debauchery. Caligula agreed this would be the fastest way to reclaim the wealth of the nation. He tells Claudius to call the Senate and to collect some papers from his rooms. 
he orders Cassius to post the new tax decree across the empire with his guards. Cassius calls his men and tells them their mission. He is met with rolling eyes and groans. He doesn't blame them. Ever since Caligula fell into depression, Cassius and his men have been patrolling the streets and executing men trying to provide for their starving families. He knows the people are going to protest and riot when they read these notices. And his men are going to be the front line. But he has to be the leader and rally the men. He mounts his horse and guides them out. Village after village hurl rotten fruit and stones at the men after they post the signs. Cassius takes the abuse, but he has lost sight of what he's fighting for. This is not the leader he thought he was. Caligula addresses the Senate and informs them that anyone that is charged with treason of any kind will have to surrender their wealth and property to the Empire. Claudius hands him the blackmail documents Tiberius kept and Caligula swore to destroy. He begins to read out the accusations one by one. Each paper is a death sentence and a new deposit in the Empire's bank. When Cassius and his men return from posting the new tax signs, Caligula assigns him a new mission. He and the Praetorian Guard are to execute all those who speak out against Caligula and his rule. The Emperor hands him a list and tells him to get started. Cassius unravels the scroll, but there appears to be no end. Academics, priests, and hundreds of members of the Senate are on the list. The slaughter will be endless. Now that Caligula is getting his house in order, he has still not resolved the big issue of securing his legacy with an heir. Instead of wasting months trying to impregnate someone, Caligula decides to take the more secure route. Caligula has known Melonia for a while. She was married and has three daughters, but she loves to party and has frequently attended banquets at the palace. She's not as beautiful as Caligula's sisters, but they have fun together. The best part is she is heavily pregnant. The child is not Caligula's, but it will be his heir when they're married, and knowing she's fertile gives them many more opportunities. The announcement of the wedding sends shivers down the spines of Caligula's sisters. His behavior is erratic and unpredictable. They have no idea how safe their position in the palace is, they begin to worry that they no longer hold any value to him. Agrippina and Lavilla approach Drusilla's widow, Lepidus, after the wedding. He's never forgiven the emperor for forcing his wife to bear his child and blames him for her death. The three plot to kill Caligula and his new bride, so Lepidus can become emperor. Agrippina finds Caligula in his chambers and entices him back to his room with the promise of a wedding present. Caligula is intrigued and follows her. In his room, hiding by the bed, are Lavilla and Lepidus, armed with daggers. Before they close the door to the bedroom, Agrippina screams and Cassius rushes in from the hall. She points at the bed and says she sees people there. Lavilla and Lepidus are surrounded before they can protest. As the guards tie their arms behind their back, Lavilla screams, It was all Agrippina's idea. Caligula looks at Agrippina, who looks disgusted at the accusation. He orders Cassius to take her away as well. The trial was brief, more of a show than an act of diplomacy. Caligula sentences Lepidus to death and exiles his sisters to the Pontine Islands in the Mediterranean Sea. 
Caligula is moving in the right direction, but he makes enemies wherever he goes. The birth of his daughter is meant to bring joy to the people, but it isn't making up for the extortionate taxes or the mass executions. Caligula sips a glass of wine on his balcony and his uncle approaches. Cassius watches as Claudius tries to give him comfort. He can hear the emperor ask for his counsel. Claudius reminds him that Rome is an empire, and an empire must grow. It is what made Caesar the greatest emperor. If Caligula wants to be great, he must succeed where Caesar could not. Caligula hears him and feels inspired. He calls for a meeting of the Senate. The Senate is full of venom. They are all on edge since the reinstatement of the treason trials. Each member fears that they will be the next target. Caligula explains that his next request as emperor will be to lead military campaigns to conquer the Rhine and Britannia. Though they feared him, they could not bottle the anger and frustration this announcement ignited. The money he would use to lead this campaign was theirs. Caligula heard their volatile barking and was disgusted. He bellowed back that he would also make his horse, Incitatus, a consul in the Roman Senate, and there's nothing they can do to stop him. Cassius couldn't believe what he was hearing. Was he serious? Caligula stormed out of the chaotic Senate and called for his military officers and consuls to meet him in his chambers to discuss strategy. After completing their campaign, Caligula leads the parade of military legions into the capital with their spoils of war and their masquerade of prisoners. The Senate is far from impressed with the spectacle. Several even swear that they know some of those so-called prisoners. Cassius is mortified. He's been the enemy of the people. He's lost the respect of his men, and he's only a whipping boy to Caligula. He can't continue like this. As his men return to their quarters, a member of the Senate catches up with Cassius and asks to speak with him in private. He agrees and follows him through the dark passages until they reach a room at the back of the Senate. Several other members are there, waiting, as well as Claudius. They take it in turns to talk about their concerns over Caligula's behavior. The executions, extortion and now the parade claiming victory. It's fooling no one. They don't think Caligula is fit to lead the empire any longer, and Cassius couldn't agree with them more. The Senate wishes to return the empire to a republic and be ruled by the Senate. They propose to join forces with the Praetorian Guard and assassinate Caligula. On the morning of January 22nd, 41 AD, Caligula is feeling elated. It has been four months since his victory in Gaul, and the people seem to be regaining faith in him. Even the Senate has quieted down. The Palatine Games are in full swing, but first the Emperor must make an appearance at the theater. Caligula is enjoying the festivities with his wife. They both drink heavily and overindulge in the banquet provided. The performance is raucous and filled with laughter and gore. The Emperor over-imbibes and decides it would be best to return to the palace for a bath before heading to the games. He kisses Melonia goodbye and exits the theater with Cassius and his men in tow. They descend into the tunnels of the palace when Caligula comes face to face with a group of armed senators and guardsmen. As Caligula turns and meets Cassius's gaze, he sees the blade of the sword descending on him. The strike slices through his shoulder Caligula screams and turns to see the group charge. Every stab is vengeance. 
When the screaming stops, Cassius can see what is left of Caligula, and it isn't much. He knows the Senate will spread the word of Caligula's death as fast as possible so they can claim the empire. He grabs his men and orders them to find Claudius. They fan out and Cassius searches the palace tunnels. It isn't long until he finds him. He's hiding and shaky. Cassius drops to his knee and presents his bloody sword to Claudius. He bows his head and sways his allegiance to his one true ruler of Rome, Claudius. This essentially makes Claudius the emperor. Cassius vows to protect him as long as he reigns. Claudius steps out of his hiding spot, dazed. But he knows if he wants to survive the day, he needs to pick a side. And right now the side with the sword seems most promising. Claudius marches his way up to the Senate. The rest of the Praetorian Guard are waiting at the entrance. The Senate sit in silence. Cassius addresses the Senate, saying, Caligula is dead. His wife and daughter are dead. Caligula has learned through experience that he is not a god. The Praetorian Guard and I have sworn our allegiance and vowed to protect with our lives our new ruler, the new emperor of Rome, Claudius. Crosshairs is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Jonathan Guy Lewis. Our music is supplied by KPM. Sound design by Tom Bruins. And this episode was written and produced by Jack O'Kennedy. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please give it a rating and review. There's a new episode of Crosshairs every week. And if you can't wait for that, why not check out more What's the Story content? at www.whatsthestorysounds.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.